morning. Um, we're going to take a break in our normal series, um, and we're going to ask ourselves a question that I think is kind of pertinent, and I believe pretty strongly that we find it in the Bible. And the question is, is when we encounter Christ, what, what does he expect of us? And I think this is pertinent if you, if you haven't started your journey in Christ, if you just started it, if you've been on the road for a long time, or if you're almost done with your journey. Because, because I think that, that, that Christ is continually speaking to us and encountering us, and I believe that he's alive and active. And then he ends up requiring something of us. And um, then we're supposed to respond. Um, and, and I kind of want to tackle that. And the other thing I want to do is introduce you to something called Truth Time. It's what, my, it's what my small group, we call truth time. Basically, if you preface a statement with truth time, you can say pretty much whatever you want. And Well, no, whatever you want, I think, is the rule. And you can't be judged for it. There's no judgment during truth time. It's a sacred time. For example, truth time, I think it's kind of ridiculous that, that when I go to self-serve yogurt, and I grab my own cup, and I fill up my own cup, sorry, Audrey, and I fill it up with my own yogurt, and then I go over there and I put the toppings that I want on it, and then I put it on the, the scale, and then they ask me for a tip. That's just, I don't like it. Um, truth time, so no judgment, but I just, I just don't like it. So that's how truth time works. Um, but for, for me to, to try to tackle this question of, you know, what does God require of me? What, what, what does he have when we encounter, when we encounter him? Um, it starts with my conversion story. I was saved when I was in, in high school. I was a junior in high school. And the reason that I decided to follow God's call in my life, that I decided to, to finally give in to the tugging of the Holy Spirit, or however you want to phrase it, was because I was tired of being angry all the time. I was just an angry dude. I, I listened to angry music, and I resonated with it, and uh, I skateboarded, and it was all about rebellion and, you know, doing hood rat things with my friends. And um, that's an old YouTube thing. I don't know if you guys are familiar. Yeah. Um, and, you know, everyone was an idiot or a jerk or stupid, and I was just tired of that. It's so exhausting to have all that angst inside. And, and, and so I finally, you know, my junior year went... All right, God, apparently you know something about this. Apparently you deal with this kind of issue, so here's my life, is essentially how it went down. And almost instantly, the anger was gone. I don't quite remember it going away as much as I remember looking back and going, yeah, I'm just no longer angry. I don't have that angst. That doesn't define my life anymore. And so because of that, I was really, really outspoken in high school. Um, about my faith, you know. I was 17 in, in my senior year, and so of course I knew everything, so I would, I would argue with my teachers about it, and, and yeah, I was that guy. Um, we, we, we had a group of friends that wanted to have um, some Christian slogan on some picture for like senior day or something, and we wanted to have the word Jesus on it, and they're like, you can't have the word Jesus, and we're like, we're not ashamed of the gospel, and we were just crazy. Um, and at that same time, I also had this other area that, that kind of wasn't so cool. See, because I hated high school. I, the only thing I like about high school are my stories from high school. Um, because they're funny, not because they're good. Um, 
And if I had friends that were doing those same things, I'd be really disappointed because they were bad stories. Um, so I had this big experience, and then there's this other area that basically came from I didn't really do what I wanted to do. I just did whatever you know I wanted to do. It's kind of lazy, not really respectful. For example, a good story is my, my claim to fame, I guess, for my senior year, my, my last semester was I got one of every grade on my report card. I had A, a B, a C, a D, and an F. And then another one of my friends who we used to fool around with, like, you know, go mess around and whatnot, he got straight A's. And he was like, all, you had, to, all I had to do was try. It was really funny. And I was looking at my report, report card saying, you think this happens by accident? <laughs> right? So to get an A, I had to try, even though that was like watching TV or something. There was this really weird nothing class, but I enjoyed it, so I went. Um, and the F I got was in woodshop, because I just didn't go. I just decided, I don't want to go to woodshop. It's first period. I'd rather wake up a little bit later. I don't have any friends in woodshop, so I don't know, have anyone to talk to in class. So I just stopped going. And people were like, well, how did you, how did you get it, like, how did you not get in trouble for that? Well, another one of my personality traits that I had was kind of know how to work the system. So my parents <laughs> are divorced, so I was living with just my mom, and uh, the school had my dad's phone number. So every day he would get a phone call that said, your male senior student was absent from one or more classes. Well, what was he going to do, ground me, right? I don't, I don't live with you, so um, I'm not going to go to my room, right? Like, so I just had it made, and there was this... As I look back, really disappointed in myself, but like, I just wouldn't go to a teacher's class because I didn't care about them. That's super disrespectful, right? But I didn't care. I was only going to do what I wanted to do. So I went to my guidance counselor and said, hey, I heard this rumor or story that um, if you have any truancies on your record, then, then you don't get to walk. And for some reason, walking was really important to me. I didn't care about prom or... Um, like senior grad day. I think the only thing I did that was seniory was senior ditch day. Um, <laughs> just because I'm not going to go to class on a day that I'm supposed to not be there. Um, and so I, I go to my teacher and I say, or my guidance counselor, and I say, you know, I, I want to walk. Where do I sign up for Saturday school? I ditch every day. Like, like how do I right this wrong? And she said probably the worst thing she could have said. She said, don't worry it'll catch up to you. And so sure enough, I walked, I threw my hat, did the whole thing, and it never caught up to me. And that mentality that everything just works out for me because I kind of know how to manipulate or because I tell these half-truths or, or I'm kind of lazy, that followed me for a long time, truth time. It followed me as I mentored junior high students. It followed me as I mentored high school students followed me as I ran ministries, as I prepared for full-time ministry, as I learned how to be a husband, as I, it followed me. That, that part of me continued on. And it wasn't until recently where I decided, I was like, I don't want to be that person anymore. I had to go confess, feel like an idiot, do some things I really didn't want to do so that I could, like, fix that. And, and for so long, I, I, I just let that fester and go undealt with and, and I think there's a lot of reasons why I did so. Partially because God had already done a miraculous work in my life. 
I could continue to go back to how he dealt with my anger 100%, how he had, had, had done it all, and how that didn't mark my life anymore. And then so then I could sort of get him off the hook and say, maybe this isn't that big of a deal. If it was a bigger deal, then he would just deal with it. Um, it's also very difficult. I, I practiced that, that habit so long that it's really hard to stop once I've kind of practiced being that person. Um, but I think the real reason why I didn't deal with it for as long as I did was because I fell into this lie. And the lie that says, that, that, that we say to each other, that we say to ourselves, is that's just who I am. I, I just said, that's just, that's just who I am. I, I, I know how to work the system. That's just me. I, I'm just a lazy guy. That, that's it. That, that's just who I am. And, um, and I realized that is not the, the message of Jesus. The message of Jesus is restoration, is that's who you were. You were dead to sin and now alive in Christ. It's the whole thing when we get baptized. That's the message of Jesus. So I had this area of my life that I just didn't deal with. And as I was dealing with it, I came across this quote. Um, the quote's really, really good. I couldn't uh, manipulate it to make it nicer, so it's kind of longer. But it says that Jesus didn't come or didn't die so that broken people would feel better about their brokenness. Jesus died so that broken people would be made whole. And I think for a lot of us, we want to just, you know, I'm saved, woohoo, cool. Um, but the Bible talks about Jesus as, as, as the great physician. So imagine you go to a doctor. You say, doctor, my arm's broken. And he goes, high five. Oh, the other arm, though, because your arm's broken. And we're like, no, fix it. No, high five, it's cool. It's cool that your arm's broken. And we know that's, that's ludicrous, right? Like, when I go to a doctor, I want them to fix my arm because it's broken. But for some reason, with God, we want to just be able to just, that's just who I am. Just make me feel better about it. I can go on with my life and just, just be that because what else can I do? That's just who I am. And that is not the message of the gospel at all. In fact, um, we're going to jump into some scripture. And uh, Christ says this exact same thing. He, 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 he is kind of setting the stage by, by bringing up two different categories, two different groups of, of philosophies, of, of truth, of, um, of how people speak into people's lives, of, of different worldviews. And he breaks it up into two camps. Um, his camp and everyone else, which is highly unpopular, but um, Jesus didn't really care about popularity, so go figure. And, um, and, and he refers to himself as the way, the truth, the life, the gate, the, the, the good shepherd, different things like this. And he refers to the other camp as um, thieves and robbers and liars and murderers. So his is the good camp. Um, as, as you can tell. But so John chapter 10, verse 7 goes like this. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. Um, we're going to stop before the money verse. Um, but when I read something like this, typically I, I would just kind of read through it. I would see that Jesus is making a statement about him being the way 
and that, you know, that's it. And then he says, and then they'll be saved. And I'm like, cool, yeah, Jesus is the only way to be saved. And then I would leave it at that and then go on. But the tail end of verse 9 says, they will come in and go out and find pasture. Like, like Christ is talking about a relationship. He's talking about, like, not just this one and done kind of thing, but, but that we're going in and out and experiencing life through him. And we're, and we're going through and finding pasture in him and finding life, not just, hey, we're saved, cool, and stuck in that area of that's just who I am. So the money verse goes like this. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. I think a better translation is that you would have life and have it more abundantly. See, Christ wants to give us abundant life. And when we hear that, I first think, um, you know, it'd be nice to have a cooler house. Um, I would like it if my car wasn't garbage. Um, I would like it um, if, if I had a retirement set up and if I had enough money so that eventually when we have kids going to college, they can go to whatever college they're smart enough to get into, right? Like that, that's my hope. That's, that's abundance to me. And what that ends up turning into is that, that I would have more than my neighbor, that I would have more. And that's that other camp, the thieves and robbers and liars who only come to kill and destroy but Christ's idea, I believe, of, of abundance is that those areas of our life where we've bought into that lie that says that's just who I am, that he says, no, we're going to deal with that. I'm going to give you life there. I'm going to restore that area. There's no more room for that. We're going to work through this, and you're going to have life, and you're not going to be a slave to our circumstances. Like, what kind of life is that that just goes around and goes, yeah, that's just who I am. What can I do about it? And that's not the message of Christ at all. So that's the encounter we're, we're talking about, right? So when, when Christ encounters us, when he says, hey, we're done with that area, now what? That's the question we're going to be asking. And we find that in an earlier scripture in John, John chapter 8. And this story is pretty much the epitome of God's grace, of, of Christ stepping into a dark situation and, and, and redeeming somebody, and then he has his calling on, on her life. Um, you're only going to get the, the quotes up there, so we'll see how it goes. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives at dawn. He appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. For, sake, for our argument's sake, it's going to be like church, right? Everyone kind of comes around, they gather, he gets up to teach. He's in the, you know, basically like this, only it definitely looked different back then because it was back then. Um, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, and they made her stand before the group. That's horrible. I don't know how literal they're referring to as far as caught in adultery, but that's really embarrassing. And just so you know, it's never cool to, like, in the middle of church, to stand up and go, so-and-so is caught in adultery. That's just not cool. We're not trying to learn good news from the Pharisees. And so it says, And they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? Um, 
they were using this question as a trap in order to have basis of accusing him. Essentially, they were using her as a pawn. They didn't, care that, they didn't even care that she was doing adulter, adulterous acts. She didn't, they didn't care. They just wanted to trap Jesus because there were, there were two, two laws at that time. Basically, there was God's law and, 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 and uh, the law of Moses, and then Roman law. So God's law says, yeah, adultery is no good, and there's consequences for that. And if Jesus were to say, yeah, you're right, Pharisees, then he's going to be breaking Roman law. And Roman law says, hey, Jesus, you have no authority to sentence anyone to death. But if he were to be afraid of Roman law and, and not abide in God's law, then they would have a basis to accuse him of, of being, you know, not the Messiah who he's claiming to be. So the Pharisees thought they had everything covered. They were using this woman as a pawn, and they didn't, they didn't even care her situation. They just knew that they were going to get Jesus. Um, he's smarter than they are, though, so um, it goes on. But Jesus bent down and started to write in the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let anyone who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. There's a lot of speculation as to what he was writing, whether it was the Ten Commandments or um, uh, like the sins of them. I think he was playing Hangman or Sudoku or something. Like, I, I, I don't think it matters. I think Jesus wasn't giving their, their, uh, their argument any credibility. He knew it was inappropriate. He knew that she was being used totally in a not cool way. And he wasn't going to have any part of that. Um, then, it, then it says, At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one con condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. See, this is so powerful because... She's experiencing God's grace like none of us ever will because she's actually caught in front of God. We talk about, you know, this judgment, this whole thing, but like she's really there in front of Jesus, the one who, yes, he has the ability to forgive sins. And he says, yeah, we're done with that. I don't, I don't condemn you. He doesn't give her props for that. He's not, he's not condoning her behavior. But he says, hey, no condemnation here. And then he has a response. He says, hey, there's something that, that you have to do. And we've kind of in the church have come up with this systematic way of doing it. When someone says, you know, when I became a Christian, I said, what do I do now? And I got this list of things that were good things. I said, you know, go to a Bible-believing church, pray, and read your Bible. I would still say those things, but I would add um, being community and... Um, and serve. Those are that, that's what I would add to that list, which is a good list. It just doesn't happen to be Christ's list. And that's the answer we need to, to, to come to. And he says, go and leave your life of sin, or go and sin no more. That's his requirement. When we have this area that, that we've decided, hey, I'm done with this area. I'm done with buying into that lie. I'm done with that's just who I am. Christ comes in, does his work, and says, all right, now, now we're done with that. Leave, leave your life of sin. And you're like, thanks, Jesus. Yeah, that's really helpful. Because if I could have left it already, then, then I, I would have, 
right? Like, like that's because we, we've practiced this. And the way that I've kind of seen it happen in my life that I've been able to deal with these things kind of comes from this story that, that just happened. Casey and I, we were out shopping, and um, I decided I wanted to wear or buy some fancy socks because I'm not very fancy at work. I don't have to dress up. In fact, if I really wanted to, I could probably go in, like, flip-flops and shorts and a T-shirt, like, on a Friday, probably. I mean, like, like when I see my boss, I fist bump him. Like, hey, man, how are you doing? Oh, good, you know. How was your weekend? And then he tells me about whatever. So, um, but normally, I would go in jeans and a collared shirt, maybe, just because I pretend like I'm fancy. So I decided, hey, I'm going to wear, I'm going to, buy some fancy socks. And uh, another aspect about me, whenever I buy something new, I've got to wear it the next day. So if you see me in new clothes, I went shopping yesterday um, because I'm excited. And then it's a bummer when you buy two pairs of pants. Like, what, should, what do I do, right? Um, maybe I get home and change, and then the next day I'll wear the other ones. Um, so I bought these fancy pair of socks, and I decided I'm laying in bed. I'm like, okay, so tomorrow I'm going to wear those fancy socks. If I'm going to wear fancy socks, I can't wear them with sneakers. i got to, you know, okay, I'll, I'll, wear my, I'll wear my fancy shoes. I'm like, well, if I'm going to wear my fancy shoes, then, then I should wear some slacks. Okay, yeah, I'll wear some slacks. And then, and then I'm like, well, if I'm going to wear slacks, wear a nice, you know, button-up shirt. And then, okay, yeah, this one's nice. It's all ironed the whole bit. I'm like, oh, if I'm going to wear that, I might as well wear a tie. And I just got a tie with a tie clip. And I was like, yeah, okay, I'll put the tie clip on. And then when I open my closet, I'm like, oh, yeah, now it's time to put on my coat. And I had to stop myself there because there's no way I'm wearing a coat to work. They've never even seen me in a tie, and it was just ri ridiculous, right? So I go to work, and I show up, and they're like, um, where are you going? Nowhere. I just bought fancy socks. <laughs> and they're like, what? Yeah. And I told them the whole story. And that's the same thing, I think, when we're dealing with these, these, these issues that we've been building up, that it's like, hey... What's my one small step? What's my one fancy sock step? And then when we've done that and, and stepped out in faith, oh man, might as well put on fancy shoes. Might as well put on slacks. And then the next thing we know, we're overdressed in our, in our pursuit of, of, of uh, holiness. That people can't help but notice that, that, that God is doing something. Because when I showed up, there was definitely something different. I was in a tie, and it was sort of inappropriate because we fist bump and, you know. And that's my hope, is that we would be a people that we find these areas where we've bought into this lie. And God has come in and said, hey, we're done with that. I will heal this. I will make this whole. And now it's time for you to do some heavy lifting and go through this one small step, one fancy sock step at a time, and we would see our lives changed and transformed. Um, and as the worship team uh, comes up, I've got one last scripture, and it's found in Jeremiah, and it's, it's, it's the promise that I believe God has for us, that he has for his people. Um, and it goes like this, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, 
and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from a place which I carried you into exile. See, I think that Christ wants to do that in our life. He wants to give us a place where we prosper. He wants to, to have us living abundantly and using his definition of abundance. And I would just hope that we could catch that vision and take those small steps and, uh, and go from there. Let me pray.